Welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode 30. <coughs> it's episode 30. I know, I can't believe it. It's actually quite quite impressive. That I means think. we've done 30 episodes. Yeah, I'm pleased, to, pleased that, that we've managed to make so many yeah. and still have so many ideas for episodes. And when you think about that, mostly they're about an hour long. That's 30 hours of us talking. Plus all of the talking we do before we hit record. Uh, <laughs> which is quite a lot, isn't it? It's actually quite a lot of time. Yeah, we we say we say to mum, oh, we're just going to be an hour. Yeah, and then three hours later, <laughs> we stumble back in. Yeah, so um, 30th episode, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Yeah, I think it's been a while since we've done a general environmental episode. Um, so today we're going to be talking about ecotourism. Yes, ecotourism and what it is and what it the, isn't. The, Benefits, the downsides, the positives, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, some places that are doing it very well, some places that, or some activities that are doing it very badly. Yeah. Uh, and also a little bit of information on how to spot, like if you're, if you're booking a holiday, how to spot good ecotourism versus bad ecotourism. Yeah. And so a little bit of consumer information in there as well. Um, to hopefully tee up what might be our first ever guest episode oh, on the yeah, horizon. Yeah, I was going to mention that at the end because that was going to be our exciting bit of news, but you've just sort of oh, blown just that jumped now. right in. You just yeah. just smashed into yeah. it, haven't you? I'm not going to give anything else away no. other than the fact that we might be, or we will be doing a, a guest episode yes. uh, in the not too distant future. Our first ever, which will yeah. be really exciting. So that'd be cool. So we should probably get into it because otherwise we will talk for hours. But hang on, hang on. Have you got any catch-up? <laughs> no, no, I, I have not got any. Please have some catch-up. My shoulder hurts. <laughs> can, you, can you have some catch-up next time? Can you go out specifically to get catch-up news? Uh, yes, okay. I will try. But currently... I guess, I guess when the spring comes, you'll be out and about a bit more, won't you? Because there'll be bugs out there. Yeah, I'll try and have some catch-up when the weather's better. Because you're lacking a bit of bug, aren't you? Yeah. But you have catch-up. I do have catch-up. Um, I was going to mention this because... It's actually quite exciting, but it's material, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is a bit material. I was very, very lucky to have been gifted by my lovely wife um, a new lens for my Z9. And it's the lens you've always wanted. So currently, for those who know will understand this, for those who don't, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, I had a... I've got a Z9 which has a Z mount on the camera. I had old F mount lens, which you have to put an adapter on to make it fit the Z9. Not ideal, it worked fine, but the ultimate when you have a you know pro level camera is to get a native lens. So I've always wanted a Z mount lens for it. And I was really lucky because my wife bought me one. And it is beautiful. And it's be absolutely stunning. And I haven't had masses of time to test it, although we had a fantastic day at Pagham, taking pictures of curlews. If you go to my Instagram page of Bird in the Lens, you'll see a few of those that we took with my new lens. I'm going to stop there. It's fantastic. I love it. I want to spend all of the time now not working, just taking pictures and walking on nature reserves. And it's pretty safe to say you didn't know what to do with yourself when it was presented to you. Yeah, it was a you, big shock. Which I did warn Mum. I did yeah. say you wouldn't know what to it do with yourself. It was the most shocked or surprised I've been by a gift ever. So it was amazing. And I'm... Um, very lucky but that is still a nice piece of catch-up i think yeah so we'll we'll crack on ecotourism do you want to kick this one off because i've kicked the last few ones off yeah what what is ecotourism I'll, i'll read you a little line how it's defined responsible travel to natural areas 
that conserves the environment, sustains the well-being of local people, and involves interpretation and education. That's a nice, so nice it's a little bit different from your normal, you know, jump on a plane and go and sit on a beach. And yeah, and I think the, the key part to pull out of that is that there's a difference between what people would call green or sustainable yes. tourism and ecotourism. So, for example, you could go to, I don't know, uh, do a city break to Paris and try and do it more eco-friendly by yeah. using public transport, um, minimising your emissions and all that sort of stuff and try to be a green traveller, but you haven't necessarily gone and supported the local people and the local wildlife, whereas ecotourism is very central to that the money it produces should conserve the wildlife, conserve the nature, as well as benefiting the local people yeah, economically there, and there is, There's definitely a difference, albeit there is an overlap because people that will be going to, you know, specifically on an ecotourist um, uh, holiday will also tr- be trying to to travel yeah. responsibly and also to um the accommodation of, often is you know not big hotel yeah because it's trying to minimize not that a impact. package type holiday it's often in a tent in the yeah. middle of a in the middle of a you know safari or something yeah so, so. i guess it's one of those things where um, <clears throat> ecotourism is often also green tourism but a lot of the time green tourism won't necessarily yeah. be eco there are there are actually different types of ecotourism and the nature one we've obviously just sort of touched on nature-based ecotourism which you know i'm sure you all know there are um you know you can go and experience mountain gorillas um that is a typical nature-based uh, yeah some sort of trek based. to see an endangered yeah. species but then there's cultural ecotourism which focuses on going and experiencing local cultures often staying with um, local people and 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 embracing their sort of local customs and traditions, and then there's adventure ecotourism, obviously a bit like mountaineering, a, a bit more of a thrill seeking, yeah, um, but with sustainability as well. So, um, so trekking and uh, adventure sports like that, diving as well, and that. And sort then of thing. yes, and then there's the they call it voluntourism which is combining travel with volunteering for good causes. And there are plenty of those. I know there's very student-based ones. Yeah, well, it's a way of like funding your travels, isn't it? We can go to Australia if we volunteer at a farm for three months or whatever it is, and then you don't have to pay your accommodation and all that sort of stuff. So there are are a number of different types of uh, ecotourism, and um, all of those things really are trying to benefit the actual places that they're going to that's the yeah real intention and that might be preserving the environment the biodiversity the mountain gorillas is a classic example and we touched on the mountain gorillas as a positive news story in our yeah and actually have it in a fair amount of detail later on yeah and um that was definitely an area where ecotourism has helped to fund protecting the mountain gorillas and and that theme um generally is is one that that, yeah the key principle the key principle so um so i've got what is known as the four pillars of this is actually generally for sustainable tourism but obviously sustainable tourism is a big overlap is it should be sustainably managed uh it provides socioeconomic impacts cultural impacts and environmental impacts so you you should be trying or the the organizations that are trying to do ecotourism should be trying to hit all of those things and you can't necessarily prioritize one over the other if you're just going to go for full environmental impact but then you're displacing local people yeah 
then suddenly it's no longer ecotourism. Um, I thought I'd just also mention that in 2019, the global ecotourism market produced 92.2 billion US dollars, and it's expected to generate around 103 billion dollars by 2027. So it's a yeah. massive industry. It uh, is and growing the fastest growth of all subsectors of the tourist which industry. Is a, which, when done well, is a positive thing. Yeah. It's nice to know that the appetite for eco and sustainable tourism is growing because that is a you want that shift in mentality if people are going to go somewhere you want them to go and respect it and, and embrace it rather than yeah just abuse it uh it's just obviously hoping that it is actually done well which well we i think i think also it does that that being the fastest growth of all subsectors in the in the tourist industry i think it does show that people are changing their whole perception on on the environment and i think that growth in ecotourism is confirming that you yeah know? um so next i thought we'd go into some of the potential benefits obviously we have um we've touched on them uh, but just to sort of outline them in a little bit more detail because you can say oh it provides money but the the other thing is and you mentioned it in the definition is education which i think is one of the biggest benefits and and importantly that's education both for the the hosts uh, who are you know obviously having people come to their region as well as the tourists so a lot of the people participating being the tourists will want that education they're going there to learn about gorillas and conservation stuff but the education for local people is also really important because it can result in changes in profession Uh, and this comes with the financial side as well if being a wildlife guide in your local rainforest is financially viable and helps you earn an income to provide for your family and you're then looking after your wildlife, you see quite a lot of areas where poachers or hunters, those sort of professions, can shift towards a more conservation-based profession, such as being a wildlife guide, which is brilliant because they know the land incredibly. They know the wildlife and the nature incredibly well. And a lot, you see it quite a lot in a place like Costa Rica and and I think um, other, especially in in jungles, where people have resorted to hunting and poaching because they have to, look after their family they are also the people who will typically start noticing when species decline because suddenly they're not as easy to track and hunt and then there's a a shift in the culture of actually we need to look after them because we're losing our native species and then ecotourism can actually provide an opportunity for them to still earn money doing very similar things but whilst looking after their wildlife which i just think is incredible yeah i think there's a real positive impact on local people like all things there's a real balance to that because there will be some negatives too but as far as what you were talking about there that local people and employment and helping them um to to earn money um i think costa rica you mentioned costa rica there was a there was a research done about uh the positive impact of um, again i think we've got it as a little case study haven't we we have got it as a little case study but costa rica was a really was a really good one because the research published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that communities in regions surrounding conservation areas in Costa Rica had poverty rates that were 16% lower than in areas that weren't near protected parks. And that is a, a, a sort of just what you were saying there. That gives local people some a income. Livelihood, a yeah. livelihood. They retrain to, um, you know, to new careers. And so... Ecotourism can have a real positive impact on local people as well as the environment. Yeah, because so. obviously that. So if a 
the small pocket of rainforest, for example, is generating income now because people come to visit it and tour guides are working, etc. That provides the money and also the um, motivation to, okay, well, we'll rewild and we'll look after the rest yeah. of our rainforest. Let's not chop it down for whatever yeah. resource they're trying to get because actually it's a resource in its own right. And you can sit there and argue saying, oh, well, it should be valued anyway, but people still need to live yeah. and they can't take any of the blame for that. So when it's then valuable economically as well as culturally and environmentally, there's a lot more motivation behind the conservation and it's a lot easier then because you've actually got money in the area yeah. rather than relying on, I don't know, a conservation organisation donating x amount of money however frequently they're actually generating enough within the within the area so that's a real positive effect on local people as well as this brilliant positive effect on the environment itself and there are so many examples of that we were not going to list them all but i mean you talked about the rainforest and ecotourism definitely has made governments and local communities see the importance of rainforests and protecting the rainforest and that there is a shift going on out there costa rica is a classic example of that i, keep, again, I mean we keep coming back to costa yeah, rica we've, but, we mentioned again in the positive environment news episode that deforestation rates have dropped in yeah. in um, the amazon as well and again you can always as environmentalists in a country where we're not trying to protect the rainforest. I mean, we're very vocal about trying to protect our woodlands yeah. and the wild, but yeah. it's very easy for us to look across at countries that are deforesting rainforests and just yell at them and say, how can they not understand the biodiversity being lost? But then it's all sorts of complex issues of the fact that it might the industries destroying the rainforest might employ a huge portion of the workforce. Yes, and they've got children to feed, yeah, they? Yeah, and they so... can't just go, right, stop that, because people yeah. over in the different yeah. countries are saying you need to look after it this provides an alternative yeah so it is it is incredibly value for that and it's just an example of the fact that money really does talk and yeah, it no, has absolutely. to be a financial and, thing you know there's another example that ecotourism can reduce the need to hunt animals for income as well so that's another very positive impact yeah. of ecotourism um however however <laughs> there are some potential disadvantages because it's a balance isn't yeah, it it's always a balance yeah, so as soon as you start inviting tourists to, to enter the natural world, okay, it is always going to be better than just bulldozing that natural world and sticking a hotel or, or high, like a, an apartment complex or a highway over it, something like that. It's still a lot of people entering a natural world yeah. and there's always going to be some level of impact. We always love that that expression. It's very... um common in eco and sustainable tourism of taking only memories and leave only footprints but there's always going to be some level of waste some level of pollution even just walking through is going to disrupt habitats there's always going to be yeah some impact yeah and there's again we talked about impact on people and impact on the environment and there are negative impacts on local people as well yeah and negative impacts on the environment um, often it's very seasonal so you may retrain people or you may employ local people for within the ecotourism industry but it can be very seasonable seasonal um and of course it's also you know impacting upon their culture yeah, and their some, way of life some native groups and, and i'm probably going to um mess up the pronunciation uh like i've got so the list being the san omaha and the maasai yeah. um quite a lot of them deliberately sort of uh resist global like capitalism yeah and don't want to because there is a capitalist uh global capitalist industry it's all profit-led 
and they don't actually want to be part of it and it's at odds with their traditional subsistence yeah. living where they you know live off the land and provide themselves and they don't actually want to be part of a big industrialization which is fair enough yeah. and suddenly you've got people coming in and going actually you'd be a great tourist spot <laughs> and they're like, we don't want we don't want that so there is the potential for displacement and the loss of cultural ways as well as just um unrest with the with the local people as well so it is not all um positive for local people necessarily depending on their view no i mean there are there are lots of uh, there are lots of negatives we could talk about as same as we can talk about lots of positives but there are lots of negatives too because it has to be done this is the biggest problem with ecotourism it has to be done sustain as sustainably as possible and of course when you've got non-stop you know large amounts of people going into new areas uh, they're obviously going to be affecting the habitat and the yeah, again, environment it... and bringing a, a carbon footprint and all of those things that, that there will be a, a negative impact on. So it's a real tricky one yeah, of trying it, to do it properly. It's always easy for us to sit here and talk about it because it, it, we're not really impacted by it yeah. either way. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think, a, a real case of picking where you do it. So you know, if, you, if you're going to a rainforest or a habitat where some of the large megafauna, for example, are being heavily poached for no other reason than selling i don't know say ivory or selling it on a already global industrialized market yeah and you say well instead of poaching you can earn the same money by conserving that's very different to turning up to a, an untouched region yeah with a nomadic tribe and saying we want to turn this into a tourist hotspot you would make good guides yeah it's very different because they're not necessarily having the same impact as people who are already participating in a global market but in a negative way and trying to change that market into something positive so i think it's yeah, a, this it's is a where, case by case and this is where we're saying that you have to be really careful about where how you choose your eco tourist holiday yeah. because there are i mean i've got a little list of things here which actually are all negative but there are things that you need to think about so eco tourism is now such a large industry and there are not enough regulations to control how it's operated the destruction of local resources to make room for ecotourism is a problem. Trees are felled to make lodges for tourists. Natural resources are destroyed to make souvenirs. There are all of these yeah. issues. Rare species are hunted down to use as tourist attractions. Destruction of natural features, i.e. overused tracks, lead to soil erosion and damage to vegetation. And there's a real danger that areas are becoming overused. Tourist hotels sometimes dump waste into rivers, causing water pollution. So the implications of all of that explosion of, you know, people going into new yeah. places and new areas, some of them very, uh, you know, very unexplored areas, just to be able to see a mountain gorilla, it can be very detrimental. Yeah. I'll, I'll save some of the information for the little bit at the end about sort of what to look for. But just because you touched on it there, one of the key things is a lot of these either regions or companies or ecotourism uh, methods will limit the number of people who will go yeah. each year. And that is not a big, that's a, it's a big green flag. <laughs> if they're saying, yeah, we've got fantastic, but it will we'll only accept this small amount of number of people each year. Okay, it might make it more expensive for uh, for obvious reasons, but they're not just capitalizing purely on profit. Let's cram as many people into this pristine yeah. habitat as possible yeah. and earn lots of money. It's 
let's let's earn the money for the conservation but we can't overdo the impact at the same yeah. time so that's a that's a nice green flag to look out for it if it's a, a limited yeah uh, I mean, I like, feel, I feel like we've touched on too many of the negatives oh, because there are, there are however, <laughs> just just one that I don't think can go un, unmentioned is quite a lot of time is, it is to go and see wildlife yeah but how that how you interact with wildlife is important because it can lead to animals sort of becoming too acclimatized and also too dependent on people so I've just given a green flag a red flag would be any ecotourism that allows you to feed wild animals because suddenly they're going to become overly familiar, potentially Are you, are you going to talk about Cecil? No, I wasn't going to talk about Cecil. I was going to Cecil? talk about whale sharks in a minute. Oh, okay. So I'll talk about you Cecil. You can talk about that, Cecil. That, makes, that, that relates yeah. to exactly what you're saying. It is, because we had touched on the environment and the people, but <clears> hadn't necessarily <throat> spoken about the wildlife. Yeah. Um, but that is the main potential negative for wildlife. Cecil. Well, the frequent visits leads to a phenomenon called habituation. Yeah. That's what it is, isn't it? whereby animals subjected to regular interactions with tourists become used to the presence of humans. And that can be, make them vulnerable. It makes them vulnerable to predation, to... It also... this is I haven't actually got any stats, and this is just something I seem to remember from somewhere, so if it's wrong, I haven't got anything to back it up. Places that do, like, shark feeding, that, that it can potentially lead to sharks being more violent towards people because they then associate people with food because it's like, oh, when boats and people come out, I get fed these people have come and not fed me. Yeah. And so it can yeah. also have that, that negative impact on the wildlife and the people. You might then create an association between human and food. So a classic example of that, and I didn't know about Cecil. It was only something that I read while doing this research. The recent tragedy involving lion. the notorious African lion, yeah. Cecil, is an example of this. Cecil was a star of widespread media attention, apparently, and thus... Um, fairly habituated to humans made it easier for him to be lured out by trophy hunters and shot and that's what happened to him oh, okay. so he got familiar he's not the one that was shot by the dentist oh i don't know i, oh, okay. I, I didn't I, I didn't so I, I stopped reading at that point yeah. because i got angry about it so i didn't read yeah, anymore there was about a, there the was article a massive news story however many years ago of the <clears throat> american orthodontist or dentist who yeah, went out and yeah. shot a lion and i can't remember if that was cecil or not. so me and trophy hunters don't get on very right. well and uh, i stopped reading it from that point because i, I it does it makes me too angry and the very last thing <clears throat> i'll say on the negatives because it will lead into um the what to look out for and it pops up in most environmental topics is obviously the potential for greenwashing yes so people will advertise something as this is ecotourism you're doing wonderful things by choosing to book with us and actually they are not ecotourists uh, in any sense uh, but it's just an easy way to attract a new market by marketing it as a yes there is one very large hotel chain which i'm not going to mention the name of well, i mentioned and it. they are a classic example because they've had a huge marketing thing about cutting down co2 emissions at all of their Call them out. Various, um, you know, various resorts and what have you. However, what wasn't made, you know, what wasn't in their marketing spiel was how many palm and mangrove trees they cut down to build their resorts, no, particularly we, in the Maldives. We are um, not big enough to be sued. <laughs> it was the Hilton chain, oh, okay. apparently, and it was 2018, and they got called out. And by critics because and they were accused of greenwashing because they did this huge thing about you know they were they're going to be cut down their co2 um in their whole proceed you know yeah. processes and 
the way they built new hotels or whatever and then they were found out to be clearing vast tracts of mangrove trees to build uh, hotels in exotic places like the Maldives yeah. and of course you know tearing down trees affects carbon levels in the atmosphere to a yeah, massive I mean, level it's like, aside from anything else they're destroying the environment so we should probably we could probably <clears throat> fill quite a fun episode a fun rather sad episode on hilarious examples of greenwashing because it's like the oil companies coming out and going but we've put renewable lights on all of our oil rigs it's like, okay great but you're still drilling <laughs> oil in the sea so yeah, that's really helped doesn't yeah. it the lights yeah. well done you that's really maybe that should be that's an really negated the drilling isn't it yeah. i think i think <laughs> stay tuned for us doing an episode on the worst examples of greenwashing because I think that would be quite entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, we've, I feel like we've talked about a, a lot of negatives. Yeah, I think but it's one of those where the the potential negatives are poten- potentially potential. Are, um, There's a lot vast, of potential. Yeah. But it, the potential benefits can outweigh them as long as it's done well. So we have some examples of it being done well and a couple of examples of it being done badly so you can sort of see the yeah. difference. Um, I mean, there are some... We mentioned Costa Rica and Costa Rica's... Or should we kick off with... Because we've yeah. already mentioned it, so we might as well start Costa Rica, with Costa Rica apparently is well known throughout the world for the emphasis on nature-based tourism. Um, but it's got programmes like its Ecological Blue Flag programme. Yeah, which, which is really cool. Yeah, which informs tourists of beaches that have maintained strict set of eco-friendly criteria. So Yeah, and they get a flag with um, a certain number of stars. And if you want like a higher star rating, you have to adhere to their um, standards by like 94% yeah. or above or something like that. But yeah. it means that tourists can go, oh, that's a one-star blue flag beach. That's still got some work to be done. But that's a pristine, very well looked after, very well-managed beach you yeah. have a four-star blue flag and yeah they're they're fantastic by the looks of it country's forest cover went from 26 percent in 1983 to 52 percent in 2021 the thanks to the government's decision to create more protected areas and promote ecotourism in the country and a quarter of its total land area now is zoned as protected territory but the 1.7 million travelers that go to costa rica and experience incredible biodiversity yeah, in that country. It's stunning absolutely place. stunning. But there are rules, and yeah. there are you know they, they have to essential. abide by uh, this um, these these special rules to protect this fantastic environment that they're creating and continuing to 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 you know to create and, yeah, and I mean, to regenerate. Even beyond, there are the really good example. Yeah, even beyond the actual, you know, the tourism <clears> side <throat> of things, um, I've got that ninety or over ninety-eight percent of Costa Rican energy comes from renewable resources. Yeah. That's since twenty fourteen. I've got that in twenty seventeen, the country ran for a full three hundred days on just solar power. So it's one of those examples of they're actually trying to improve across the board yeah. and they're making use of the money that the tourism brings in to actually just yeah. be a greener country. It's a, fant- it's a fantastic example of yeah, uh, no, it really sustainability is. Yeah, no, and, and it, the development that goes with it. it yes, it, it really is. And um, uh, another one in Africa, Tanzania. Um, they're, I mean, fantastic as far as ecotourism is concerned, but it supports 400,000 jobs. Um, accounts for 17.2% of the national GDP, earning about a billion dollars each year. But they do it really, really well. And they've, they've got really hugely protected areas of national wild national uh, wildlife national parks. But it's done really well in Tanzania, and it's done 
um, regulated and monitored and and it has created a huge um, you know a huge uh, revenue and huge job list for people so so it's been a it's been a brilliant a brilliant thing in Tanzania so they're a really good example well, see now here's here's the decision because <clears throat> I have another nice positive example also coming out of Africa and then I have two less positive but right. I feel like we should <clears throat> end on at least one positive I, I think I want to end on a negative do the negative and we'll end on the there are I've got a few more positives here of not necessarily um you know eco-tourist hotspots but countries that are trying really hard to create a really eco-friendly environment for people to visit okay so i'll tell you what i'll give you my two bad examples then i'll give you my good example and then you can tell people where to go (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a plan so one of my negatives is actually it's a very quick one um and it, it comes not uh it's not too dissimilar to my mention of the shark feeding but this is actually whale sharks um, and it's not a specific region. It's something that's happening in Philippines, Indonesia, and actually Mexico as well, just where whale sharks are obviously present. But essentially, they, well, fishermen noticed that whale sharks would congregate around their boats, obviously, because they're chucking krill and stuff over to bait other fish. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, brilliant, free food. We don't have yeah. to go anywhere. And so fishermen started leaving out things like shrimp and stuff to attract whale sharks, then bring tourists out on their boats to money and be like look at these incredible you know the world's largest fish um but it has resulted well it's resulted in whale sharks not being very wary of people and that's a a a weird sentence because they're not very wary of people anyway i mean they're massive they don't really care too much about people but the problem it causes is that they get very close to boats and you've got things like propellers causing quite serious injuries i think there was an example of it cutting across a whale shark's eye you also get people becoming a little bit too familiar with them and so there was a quite famous case of a whale shark not beached but sort of trapped in a little bit of a shallower pool until the tide came back in and you had people taking photographs of tourists standing on top of it and things like that so people just start becoming a little bit too comfortable and familiar around the wildlife and it then damages them it's also highly unregulated so you don't know what else is going on out there with with the the, um, i think this is one of the few things i did um learn um is that it's pretty unregulated yeah, and there across are, the board um, again we'll mention it towards the end i guess there are certification programs where businesses can subscribe to and, and go get a bit of a stamp and again i mean we've picked up on things like as we probably have picked up on you know sustainable fishing stamps and red tractor stamps and a lot of them are meaningless depending on how they're being funded so it's another thing to be wary of but there are certification programs that will uh, put their seal of approval saying this is a, a good ecotourism yeah. thing my other slightly longer bad example is actually from Machu Picchu, uh, which is now, people say, has gone from ecotourism to over-tourism. Have you seen the queues? Yeah. I've seen pictures of queues that seem to go on for about four miles going yeah. up up to the top of Machu Picchu. It was a place, actually, that um, your mum and I always wanted to go to until recently when I saw... It's a bit like Everest now. You have yeah. to queue to get to the summit of Everest and you have to queue to get down. And sometimes when you're queuing to get down from Everest, you die. But Machu Picchu is like that now, isn't it? There, It's like a snake of people going from the top of the place yeah. down to the bottom. And it takes you hours and hours. And that's not that's not. No, for me. and obviously it was originally, or, or I guess potentially um, intended to be an example of sort of adventure ecotourism, yeah. go and trek up yeah. Machu Picchu. Um, but it has 
moved into what people would call over tourism and i've got how it's the negative impacts on the various pillars of ecotourism so for example um for the environment the the mass development in the sort of surrounding areas threatens quite a lot of the um very last remaining pocket of the andean cloud forest because they're building there so people want to come we'll build hotels yeah yeah uh, you've also obviously got increased waste from humans adding to air and water pollution Heavy foot traffic is damaging the grasslands. Noise pollution has actually contributed to the disappearance of the Andean condors from the area. So they're actually not present in the area anymore because of how loud it is. And migrating and breeding patterns of quite a few threatened animals have changed as well. So it's direct impacts on the behaviour of local wildlife. Economically, you've got a lot of workers and guides being left without stable work on the off-season. And what's known as tourism leakage, where actually the locals are not the ones benefiting, it's the big corporations with the nice big hotels that are earning the money. It's actually not doing what it should be, benefiting the local people and the surrounding area. And um, socially, you've got parts of the city sliding downhill, (laughs) causing damage to cultural and historical areas. Um, Visitors have had parts of the city literally damaged. Um, You've got an increase in cheaply made trinkets, causing a decline in a lot of local... Um, like artisan yeah. craft work. Um, now, quick caveat right at the end here. It does not mean that all Machu Picchu, Picchu treks are bad. You can still visit without feeling really guilty. It's just about choosing where you're giving your money to and how you're doing it, the amount of waste you're producing and being responsible. It's, it's a hard one because it's people flock there in their thousands. Yeah, and but... I think that goes back to that greenwashing and doing your due diligence on the companies that you're using and going with the the tourist companies that you're actually going to purchase a holiday from because you know you need to look in and and there's lots of information about that you should just be able to go in and see how how they're if if it's purely ecotourism they should be telling you how the funding is being used for protecting the environment the wildlife and what they're processes are for doing that you should be able to find that out from those companies that you are uh intending to use for your holiday so and they should be able to tell you that yeah you know and if they if they can't don't go with them then don't go with (laughs) it and And um, so it's all about due diligence really do your research on the companies that that would be my biggest advice and so i'm gonna hop i know obviously it's been me chatting for a little while going through that case study i'm gonna hop immediately into my Good example because yeah, I've we got, like good examples. I've got the same thing where uh, something's benefiting the environment, the economy, and uh, socially as well. So this is we've mentioned the mountain gorillas, and this is in Uganda, and the um, the, what was it the DR Congo, Dominican Republic yeah. of Congo, um, which are actually quite good. Um, yeah. Is it Dominican Republic? Democratic? Yeah, Democratic. Yeah, I, think if, I think I could combine two faces there. I think one of them's in the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> Democratic Republic of Congo <laughs> is probably the right word. <laughs> I think I've just got it written as Dr. I'm, Congo. So. <laughs> I might edit that out, but I might not. <laughs> I've got DR, so I read it as Dr. Congo, which I think is better. I was suddenly thinking, hang on, that's the Caribbean, I'm sure. Yeah, well, you know, they might have gorillas too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any gorillas in in Dominica so, but, um, to be fair yeah. the case study focuses a little bit more on Uganda um, which is good because I said that one correctly uh, they've actually they're trying to build a, an economy that prioritises conservation and recognising the economic value of that conservation and obviously mountain gorillas are highly endangered and vulnerable um, and mainly due to the habitat degradation but hunting as well and so 
in recent years, they have actually started building this ecotourism model in the region to protect gorillas and also benefit the livelihoods of the people, which is obviously what we want from ecotourism. And so environmentally, you've got the presence of tourists actually being a something, something that deters poachers because it's not so easy to get away with it. Yeah. There's people out there doing guided tours. Yeah. Um, it also encourages local governments to protect the gorillas because it's part of the um, money earning business that obviously benefits the government and they have actually seen gorilla populations increasing because of this sustainable I, th- tourism, I think I touched you, on that yeah, you I, think, it. I think uh, with that education and that increase in ecotourism but done the right way I think the stat was it went from a population in this particular area of Uganda of 600 mountain gorillas to over a thousand it was over a period of about yeah, 10 years. Yeah, well, that always takes time, especially with a... I don't know the stats, but they're primates, so probably and, lower yeah. breeding rates. Yeah, and one of the big things that they said was that increasing ecotourism in the right way was the only way that they were going to ultimately stop the gorilla yeah. from going uh, extinct. So so it, it can be hugely beneficial in that way yeah and then economically i've got obviously locals are offered stable employment opportunities as guides trackers and anti-poaching guards many of them are and are ex-poachers themselves which obviously even further reduces the threat of poaching if the poachers are moving away from that uh i was gonna say in i guess industry and um over about five years uh around four hundred and twenty-eight thousand us dollars was directly invested into communities helping locals build schools enact locally driven environment projects and aid food security so that money is going back into the local yeah. communities it's not just going to the travel agents yeah. who organized it and the last bit of the good stuff was the social impacts where you've got a bit of a cultural exchange between local guides and tourists which is enhancing cultural and environmental awareness in both parties and you've got local guys able to showcase years of expertise and take real pride in their culture and their nature. And sort of they have the platform to just show off essentially how incredible their local wildlife is, as well as the, the skills and stuff that is required to view them properly. Yeah. So it's, it's a nice way of integrating local culture and having people come and be part of it. Yeah, and one of the, one of the big positives for me and i think it's a fantastic uh positive and actually i'm hoping that this will we'll touch on this in our guest episode and i'm not going to say any more than that but when uh you know previously the poachers were poaching wildlife and now have retrained to become guides and you know within their local environment rather than killing the animals they're there suddenly now protecting them for me that's a massive massive positive isn't it to see that switch in mentality um i mean they were poaching because they had to to earn money and now ecotourism has given them the ability to protect that animal or those animals and that wildlife so when you read little stories like that and i I say we're going to hopefully touch on that in our next episode in our guest episode um and talk a bit more about that and give you a really good example of that, we hope. So, um, but think when you read things like that, that's a that's a great yeah. thing. Isn't and it? I thought I have nothing to back again, nothing to back this up as far as stats or anything. But uh, another little note from this article, which I thought, if true, is very cool. That apparently, guerrilla ecotourism has actually played quite a fundamental role in keeping peace between uh, Rwanda in a sort of post-genocide landscape because it's a shared resource because it goes at the oh, wow, national park like is going that. in Uganda and Rwanda. Yeah. 
there's a there's a shared interest there and it's yeah. actually playing a part in local peace because both parties are benefiting benefiting and that tourism will vanish in a obviously a conflict heavy region yeah. so that's an incredible example of wildlife and that's a gorillas brilliant example bringing peace of positive ecotourism yeah. and the effects of ecotourism that's, that's so i thought fantastic. that was quite interesting like but those that. are my examples and so well i haven't really got any i've got examples of places that are eco-friendly places to visit not necessarily just to see wildlife but places that are trying to become eco-friendly so, and really good dad's I mean, travel guide yeah like Reykjavik apparently the city of Reykjavik obviously in Iceland if you don't know where that is runs completely on renewable energy the whole That's of the cool. city do you know what's the nation makes use of geothermal activity oh, that makes sense to create clean energy to fuel electricity and it's a living example of sustainability in today's world generating its heat and electricity mainly from geothermal and hydro resources because it offers it like the the normal examples of countries that run well on renewables are normally very sunny places making use of solar and also there's nowhere iceland's powering its entire people <laughs> by solar yeah exactly yeah. um and one i'm always a little bit and that, this is going to sound terrible if you're an american i'm always a little bit cynical about america's views on you know on climate change and being trying to be environmentally oh, friendly out with controversial it is a bit controversial and, and probably very uneducated um statement i've made there because i probably haven't read enough about currently um america's views on that i guess i guess maybe is it that, harks back to mr trump maybe or it's just know. how the media likes to portray maybe it's it the media it's the loud but, controversial yeah. people that get platforms so so maybe i've got that you know being an old person i've got that ingrained a perception that America doesn't really care about climate change and being environmentally friendly. And then I read about San Francisco. San Francisco launched its recycling program in 2009 and successfully diverted 80% of its waste out of landfills. And it's been the top greenest city in North America. Um, and it's the city has banned the use of plastic bags and has so far saved nearly a hundred million bags from ending, entering landfills every year. So it's uh, it, it's that's that's great. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I th- and I know that's maybe not a maybe relevant to our eco tourism, but actually these are the places that to go to if they're the yeah, green they're tourism, green well. tourism, yeah. and sustainability tourism. And I suppose to be fair. I don't think it made it into the good news podcast because I think I ran out of time and I can't. I could get the notes up, but I'm pretty sure I had a story in there about Arizona building what will essentially be one of the largest solar farms or some. You some, did mention. I that. did mention. Yes, it. Okay. you did mention. In that case, if you actually want to hear, it, go back and listen to that episode because I can't remember what. So I said. actually, my perception is changing about America's views on, uh, you know being environmentally conscious yeah i mean to be fair we're sat here in england and our environment laws are horrendous and so. actually, yeah no to be honest the uk is becoming one of the worst yeah, in the we world we can't sit so, here on too much of a moral high ground when uh, we're still opening new oil drilling in the no, north that sea might be and, another rant actually at mm. some stage might not it or you could do a whole episode on actually it would be a really negative yeah episode. i'll probably have to go and like i don't know do something cathartic afterwards are um, there any positive things about um, well we Every, biodiversity and protecting our environment uh, in you this have country. to obviously remember every almost every episode we do includes either 
changes in government or changes it or work done by local charities yeah. doing good things. Yeah. So there are good things. Just our general environment laws are horrendous. It's trying to get the government to change, isn't it? Yeah. Well, anyway, we won't go into that. Anyway, we won't. It will be so all day. there are, there are uh, lots of places. Vancouver's another in Canada, considered to be the greenest city in Canada. It has ambitious plans to be the world's greenest city. Oh, I got here by 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That was four years ago. I wonder if it made it. I should have done that research. <laughs> Bit dated uh, was that article. Joe, I'm really sorry. That was a cut and paste job. So <laughs> I've just read that. But I was just trying to find examples of places. Mauritius, considered to be one of the most biodiverse nations in the world. And it has an, uh, launched an ambitious plan to plant nearly 200,000 trees. Um, and set up several marine parks you've got your hand up why is that so i just googled is vancouver the greenest city in the world yes um i have did it make it i've got an article from september 2021 saying vancouver ranked as number one greenest city in the world i've got an article without a date saying it's the third greenest city in the world so it's it's doing all right it's it's trying isn't it yeah and then an article from 2022 saying it's on its way it's in top five so I don't know how much these ranking systems fluctuate. Yeah, I don't know. And then, <laughs> but it's yeah, doing all right. Unsurprisingly, Stockholm, Sweden, and Scandinavia is quite well known for its yeah. um, its views on on Green. protecting the the environment and being uh, eco friendly. Quite a lot. Of the it's considered countries. as one of the greenest and most environmentally conscious cities in Europe. Um, the city has kept its commitment to sustainability, and now has over forty percent of its open spaces covered by gardens and parks. And it's home to the cleanest waterways in Europe and boasts having carbon emissions of below 3.4 tonnes per capita, which actually means I have no barometer as to what that, no reference no, I point. Don't. There, there was a... But obviously Stockholm is a city to visit because it's green, it's sustainable, it's eco-friendly. Now, obviously these are, you know, when we think of eco-tourism, really, we think of going and... Well, yeah. also, you know, we're not going, saying that ben going to Stockholm is going to benefit the local people no. or improve their <coughs> no. cultural... So these are just uh, examples of... Green tourism. Yeah, green tourism uh, rather than eco-tourism. Yeah, but. on that carbon dioxide footprint, it's one of those things where I think the UK ranks incredibly badly for our water footprint, so the average number of litres used per day per person. I think we ra- I think we average something like 130 litres per person yeah. per day. Yeah. And there are European countries that hit like 40 to 50 litres per day. And so there's an idea of trying to gamify it. Like, let's try and beat France or whatever yeah. country and all drop our footprint. And maybe there'd be some sort of uh, incentive to do so beyond the environment, like uh, some sort of reward system. Yeah. But that relies on people being more water conscious. But it's an interesting comparison. People, I had no idea that we use an, on average 120 litres of water per day per person. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And it's sort of a... We, we put these numbers out like the carbon footprint and they mean nothing. Yeah. But when you look into it, it actually gives a, a good idea of, oh, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z to cut that down. And actually it must be doable because other countries do it. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. So going back to uh, good places uh, eco, for ecotourism, Kenya, it's one of the greenest places to travel in Africa. Um, and, you know, poachers have devastated animal populations in Kenya for years and years and years. But ecotourism industry now, they're changing their whole perception in Kenya. And it's now ecotourism is really helping protecting the wildlife in that country. It's employing, uh, again, 
poachers are becoming warden, wardens. And even anti-poaching guards. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so they're using the, the, the revenue from ecotourism in a huge way to, to protect wildlife now um, because it has been pretty much battered and yeah. devastated for so many years. And so ecotourism in that country in particular is doing good things. So... Um, so that's about it, really. Well, I for... can, do you want me to give you some red flags? Yeah, go on then. So these are some, if you're looking for a eco-tourism holiday and you're looking at either a place or a company or a travel agent and you could try and work out if they're good or not, here are some things to warn you off them. Yeah. So if the organisation or, or the package holiday allows you to feed, touch and interact with wildlife, it's probably a bad thing because yeah. that's not a good thing to be doing in general um things like large tour bases or big cruise ships not very good because cruise ships are we could do a whole thing cruise ships not only obviously release too many people into one area too quickly they also bring invasive species they bring water pollution they dump a load of waste Generally, just terrible ideas. And it's quite interesting because the, the, uh, but the cruise could... ship companies are trying to say how much, you know, how eco-friendly yep. and green they are, and sooner or later there's going to be an electric cruise ship. You know? I told <laughs> you, I think I mentioned it. There was a whole thing about the first like wind-powered one. It's oh look, wind-powered boats. Who thought of that? <laughs> but Revolution. They re- but they really aren't very. No, they are really bad beyond the pollution. Obviously, they carry a large number of people, and so suddenly an, an area is being hit by a lot of people all of whom are going to cause erosion produce waste yeah. everything but the other big one is that they bring invasive species on there the bottom yeah. of them and release them into the uh, into a different area so um yeah large tour buses cruise ships and big tour bases as well where loads of people stay same as if you find big resorts that are quite clearly in the middle of a rainforest you know that that yeah, rainforest that, has been cleared to build yeah, a big hotel. And that big package holiday thing is a big no-no. Yeah, nor- <clears> normally <throat> you want to look for... I know, obviously, we mentioned cutting down trees to build lodges, but a handful of small lodges is very different to a huge industrial hotel that holds 500 people, for example. Um, as well as... I think I think just in general, any sign that... And it, it can be hard to find, especially without sort of really diving into research, but any sort of sign that points to mass over-tourism, I think. Yeah. Cheap, readily available, hundreds plus people in one area. Yeah. I think it's just looking for that sign of, of real over-tourism. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the accommodation actually is a big thing because often, often the if you're going to go on a proper eco-tourism holiday, you, you are going to be roughing it a little bit. Yeah, you might be in a tent, you might be in a very... Hammock. Uh, low-level accommodation like, within example, a within a tropical rainforest. I've or, had friends who stay with locals for a few or, days. Yeah, that's a got, big thing, You've actually. got people who, yeah. site, it's, I guess it's almost like an ecotourism Airbnb. Yeah. But the local people, and he struggled where there's, no, there's a real language barrier, but you end up staying in their home. They feed you, they chat to you, and you yeah. actually stay with them. And so that's another example of a nice integration of culture. Yes, and actually, you know, you find a travel company that encourages you to do that. That's a good thing. But yeah, that's yeah. that's sort of it. Those are a few red flags. But I think you mentioned it, and it is really the biggest point is a bit of research, a bit of research into where you're going, who you're staying with, and how it's all operated. Due diligence. I like that. Yeah. The expression due diligence, but, which means really researching the company you're using, yeah, and, and they I, should be transparent on on all of the things and all the way they're using your money, and when they're taking you to these, uh, you know, these remote areas and these protected areas they will 
be highlighting and emphasising uh, just how important it is that those areas are protected. Yeah, and then obviously the caveat there is marketing is a very powerful thing. And yes. so it, it, it's, it's, it's not, well, it's not yeah, easy. It's not saying and, it's easy. And it's, it's, um, I don't think people should necessarily beat themselves up. You know, if you end up somewhere and then you, you arrive, you know, oh, and this does actually not look as eco-friendly as I thought it would because marketing is incredibly clever. Yeah. We all buy products that are marketed to be green even simple things like oh i've got green pa- paper packaging so it must be fine then you turn turns out actually they've demolished a local community to and, make it and so actually yeah we've probably yeah. all been to a resort or to a, on on a holiday that's been advertised in a particular way yeah and big swimming pool and it's actually a paddling pool yeah, with a clever and camera then, angle and then a clever camera angle and you realize there's a building site behind it and stuff like that yeah so, so. It's, it's definitely it's not easy um do your research but i think that the key point we wanted to make is that ecotourism can be a real force for good it can benefit local people environment wildlife and and in, education and, and awareness educate. yeah um but it just has to be done properly yeah but I think yeah that's, that's sort of it otherwise we're going to start repeating ourselves aren't we? yeah we are and um all i will say is uh really no look we're looking forward to our next episode yeah, hopefully um, it'll be the next hopefully episode. it'll be the next we, episode we seem to have a very busy february so it's just yeah. trying to fit fit things um, in but and i'll i'll guest speaker i think you're going to really enjoy yeah and he has actually if you want a little clue he's been mentioned on the podcast a fair few times so it's about time he came on <laughs> yes but looking if, forward to that yeah um and so, we will touch on a few other things that we've been talking uh here so um that's again why we've done this episode really because it's a really nice little intro yeah, into our next a, little one, a little bit, bit of a um, teaser so anyway but, thanks very much for listening i hope you yeah. found that kind of informative yeah and if you have either gone on what you would consider a really good eco-tourist holiday or you've gone on something that you thought was going to be good and bad and ended up being bad it'd be fascinating to know so ping us a message or yeah, be on brilliant. Instagram if you've or, got examples of good or bad yeah. that would be absolutely if brilliant you think to you've hear got from places you. that you think oh you must go here before you die because it's just incredible and it's done well drop a comment on an instagram post or send us a message that'd be incredible yeah We'd send it through and it. actually you know we will give check, a shout we'll, out we'll, we'll yeah give you a shout out on the um, next episode maybe so that'd be brilliant and as always, if, if you know, if you'd like to leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple, that'd be fantastic. Um, don't forget to subscribe and go follow us over on Instagram. All the details will be in the description, and that is my T's and C's at the end of the <laughs> advert done. <laughs> You're doing those very well. I really like them. Let's catch Brilliant. you next time. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Bye bye bye. Bye.